Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. It's time to break out the fine china, chill the lemonade, Tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, because this boy's listening to Mike and Mike go to the movies. What? Do you not remember that? That's that's an iconic line from, from Con Air, Mike. Oh of all my people, God. of all people, you should know this line. Oh boy, man! You know, sometimes I'm just not in the headspace for Nicolas Cage somehow. <laughs> Which is weird, considering we've spent hundreds of hours uh, t- talking about Nicolas Cage in various podcasts <laughs> over yes. the years. Yes. I was like, what voice is this? What's happening? This isn't the mic I know. Uh, no, of course, we were talking to Cameron Poe. Uh, no, I'm Mike Smith, and joining me as always is someone who, if he were any character in the Friday the 13th franchise, he'd probably be Crazy Ralph, the true hero of these movies. I'm going to believe you, Mike DiCrecio. <laughs> I didn't know, Mike. Uh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Do you not know who Crazy Ralph is either? Are you? I don't. Uh, oh man, you're over two. Uh, <laughs> oh man, Cra- Crazy Ralph is the guy in the first two Friday the 13th movies who, when they go to town right before they go to Camp Crystal Lake, he's the guy who's like, "You're doomed." Yes, doomed. The best character in those two movies. You're right. The true, the true hero, uh, which I just saw Friday the 13th Part Two for the first time. Uh, this past weekend, I'll talk about that later. Uh, but spoilers: Crazy Ralph dies in that movie. No, <laughs> who could have predicted? After after telling all the campers about how they are doomed to go up to the camp, he goes to the camp and is immediately killed. <laughs> it's all because of those dumb teenagers, though. <laughs> I mean, really, it is all their fault. Uh, and we will talk about that in a bit. How are you doing today, Mike? What's going on? Oh, you know, nothing much. I feel like there's just no rules today. Last week we were on this pod, at least we were doing Doctor Strange, the big return Sam Raimi, but we were, uh, you know, behind the scenes following that up after a four hour gold boom recording session uh, yes. for the complete work. So it was a little <laughs> wacky, but here, here it's, you know, it's a normal time, normal day. There's no looming three hour, four hour episode behind <laughs> us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, last, last week we podcasted for basically like six hours straight, Yes, which, uh, don't recommend <laughs> I'm finally recovered now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I was so tired that entire week, partially because that day took so long. And also because I was editing that Goldblum podcast for that entire week, uh, like down to the wire. I mean, I went to bed at like 1 a.m. on Thursday night, like three hours before that podcast went up. Nice. Uh, you know, but I finally got it out there. I'm glad it's out there. We did the Goldblum finale. We did our big Doctor Strange review. And now this week we can kind of just chill. That's right. <laughs> maybe we should have had beers ready, but maybe, you know, it's okay. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll break one out for uh, the Complete Works episode we're about to record uh, right after this. Yes. I think that's a good idea. But uh, yeah, this week we are just kind of taking it easy. We're chilling and we're just going to be doing some discussions, talking about uh, some of the stuff that we've been catching up with recently, uh, like we like to do on the show from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Since we uh, have no structure for our episodes anymore <laughs> since the pandemic, which I mean, I guess at this point... This is the structure. Uh, this is what the show is now, is just whatever we want to do at any given week. Correct. <laughs> I, I believe is what it is now. <laughs> so thanks for coming along with us, everybody, basically. Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing discussions, talking about some other stuff uh, that we've been watching. Uh, before we get into that kind of stuff, got to tell you that all the theme songs that you're going to hear this episode uh, were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own theme songs at kylespodcastthemes at gmail.com. I wonder how many people have taken Kyle up on uh, <laughs> on making their own 
podcast theme song. I, I know it's more than one. Yes, yeah. So thanks, shout out to the listeners for that because that's yes, awesome. Yes, absolutely. Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com is the place to go to get your uh, own podcast themes. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. And if you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did on the show, uh, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. And now let's get into some discussions. Watch this. These are my discussions. But just when I thought I said all I could say, my buddy and I talk about movies we see. These are my discussions. There is so much to see, you and me. So we're going to talk about movies for our discussions. All right, it's time for some discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Mike. What you been up to? What you been watching recently? What have I been watching recently? Um, I just want to check back in with a little TV watch, which was Tokyo Vice, uh, which was on HBO Max. I talked about it a couple weeks ago, I guess now. Yes, on our, on our previous discussions episode, you mentioned Tokyo Vice. Yes, yeah. Uh, and that show just ended, or ended, la- I don't know, what is time? A week ago, two weeks ago or so. Um, there's eight episodes total. And the, I think the finale episode, which was, I think, the last one that has come out in between when I talked right. about it. Typically, um, the finale is the last episode. God damn it. Last one, the only episode that came out in between last time and now is what I meant right. to say, Mike. Um, <laughs> the finale was pretty good, you know, mostly because Ansel Elgort's not really in it a whole lot. It focuses a lot in on uh, Ken Watanabe and his character and the role of the police and everything in the larger story. Uh, so I liked that about it. Will I eagerly await a second season? Probably not. You know, I'm going to kind of just treat this as like an interesting little thing that happened because, you know, the first episode, of course, starts with like a big, tense, crazy moment. And then right. three years earlier. Uh, and now we've been like working up towards that in that direction. Um, so I don't know how far we are, like how close we are to that now. So so you didn't get to that crazy moment yet. That's going to no. be in a future season of the show. Correct. Yeah, that's oh, not man. there yet. They're like kind of calling their shot there a little bit. So who knows if it'll be canceled or, or what? I don't really know how how positive the like overall reception to this was. But yes, yeah, this little this little eight episode series is what I'm gonna take counted as. You know, it's fine. It was okay. That that's really it. That's really it for my my check in there on on Tokyo Tokyo Vice. Okay, is it confirmed uh, that they're getting a second season? Do you know or I have no gonna... idea. <laughs> I All right, fair enough. Like that's kind of <laughs> sort of how uninterested I am in that in the second yeah. season is like I don't know I'll, if it's there one time I log on to HBO Max and there's like a season two banner I'll be right. like oh neat uh, but that's really it. I mean that is a bold move to flash forward to an event that you're not going to do during the season that is flash forwarding to you know that, that's yeah that's pretty intense that's. <laughs> That is a, that is, I'm not sure how I would feel about that if I was watching the show. And like, I got to the end of the season and that thing didn't happen yet. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's sort of, uh, that like is sort of maybe part of my reaction as well. But like I said last time, it's based on a book. It's a true story. So like, it's a little weirder, but obviously you have to structure things for narrative, right? That's what like the whole point of why we're watching a TV show. Um, so it feel, it does feel strange to like kind of call your shot like that and be like in two seasons, we're going to get to this or whatever it is ends up being, (laughs) um, so yeah, it's a Tokyo Vice. All right, Tokyo Vice. Any other TV you've been watching, Mike? Um, yes. Yeah, I've actually started watching this show on Amazon uh, called The Outer Range, and this uh, stars Josh Brolin and uh, Imogen Poots is in it and a couple other people that I recognize, but I don't remember their names and didn't write them down. <laughs> um, Fair enough. And uh, have you seen anything about this? This was like a weirdly hyped up show I saw for some reason. I, I think I was vaguely aware that Josh Brolin was starring in an Amazon show, but I know nothing about this. Okay, it's actually pretty cool. 
I enjoy it a lot. It's, you know, a classic. He, Josh Brolin plays like a rancher in Wyoming or something like that. And his neighbor has like a land dispute with him over where the fence line should be. One of those kind of deals, you know? Sure. And while, while Josh Brolin is out like riding the fence line or whatever, he comes across like a pit basically in his land, like a giant hole, but it's not just a hole. Like it's clearly like there's kind of like stuff floating around the rim and like it's it's like this weird portal type thing. Okay. Um. So it's got, you know, the kind of like crime West, Neo West, like Yellowstone, I assume. I don't know. I've never watched Yellowstone, but <laughs> one of those kind of vibes, you know. Kind of I like, am not a parent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> precisely. Um. <laughs> One of those kind of deals where it's like this sort of neo-Western crime drama thing, but then also with this weird twinge of like sci-fi conspiracy around this hole and where it leads to and who wants the land and all this, you know, organizations putting money behind it and all this stuff. Um, So it's kind of like pretty cool. I think it's, I don't know how many episodes total. I've watched four so far. I think there's eight or 10 and yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm pretty hooked because it's got the weird, the weird sci-fi stuff. If it was just the like crime drama stuff, I'd probably still be kind of into it, but maybe not as, yeah. not as like jazzed, but because it has, you know, Josh Brolin looking at the stars and then sci-fi shit happening. Uh, <laughs> I'm in. Um, so it's been, I mean, you sold me. That sounds great. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Check it out on Amazon. At least watch the first episode, you know? So yeah, that's that's the outer range on uh, nice. Amazon Prime. And actually, speaking of Yellowstone, uh, Yellowstone Season 5 just started filming, and I know that because it's right here in Missoula. Oh, look at that. Yes, yeah, they, did, they filmed all of last season in Missoula and kind of the surrounding towns too, and uh, they're doing that again for Season 5. I saw them filming the other day, by which I mean I saw a few traffic cones that had the Yellowstone Y on them. <laughs> <laughs> that's about as far as I got. <laughs> You're not going to just try to walk in, walk get a, get a walk by in the back of a shot somewhere? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm actually probably going to try to apply to be an extra again, which I did last year, too. Yes. They are seeking local extras, and they they send out cast notices like every day for different scenes that they're shooting. So uh, I'm, I'm probably going to try again. We'll see what happens. Hell yeah. Stand by for Mike's meteoric rise. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply to be an extra in like the background of a scene and suddenly become like Kevin Costner's right-hand man in the show. Is that what's going to work? <laughs> Correct. I'm going to replace Wes Bentley on Yellowstone. You've heard it here first. <laughs> I'm pleased to announce soon you'll be going on Vin Craig's podcast. <laughs> Man, that's a burn on Vin Craig right there. No. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's the outer range, and that's uh, on Amazon right now, right, Mike? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was okay. like, you're talking about Yellowstone. Um, right. Yes, yeah, outer range, uh, Amazon Prime. Nice. All right. And uh, speaking of TV, I had one show that I wanted to uh, throw in there real quick, too, which is a show that uh, aired earlier this year on Apple TV. It wrapped up a season a while ago. I'm finally catching up with it now. Uh, but one I've been highly anticipating for a while, and that is The After Party, which is a uh, new comedy mystery series created by Christopher Miller of Phil Lord and Chris Miller fame. Ooh. Uh, so it's created by Chris Miller. He directed, I believe, every episode of the show, and it's produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller as well. So, uh, you know, they have a hand in writing everything and everything like that. But it's essentially a murder mystery that takes place after a high school reunion where there's an after party at the famous student's house. One student has gone on to have like a famous meteoric rise to fame. Uh, He's a pop star. He's an actor, all that kind of stuff. So they're all at his house. Uh, The famous student dies and everybody in the crowd seems like they may have some reason for wanting to kill him. Uh, And so Detective Tiffany Haddish shows up (laughs) and... uh, and she is trying to piece together who killed the famous student. And uh, there are so many cool people in this. I mean, you got Sam Richardson, Ben Schwartz, Dave Franco, uh, Alana Glazer uh, is in this as well, uh, and Zoe Chow, and a lot of really terrific people uh, that I really enjoy. John Early from Search Party also is uh, nice. Tiffany Hash's, uh like number two guy, uh, which is a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it's, it's really great. It is a really engaging mystery. I'm only three episodes in right now, but one of the cool hooks about it is that every episode is from somebody else's perspective and they kind of retell the events of the, you know, the night in question. And so the first episode is Sam Richardson's perspective and every episode takes the form of like a different genre. So the first episode is a romantic comedy. Uh, second episode is a big action movie, uh, like a Fast and the Furious style thing. And the third episode is a big, like bombastic musical episode. Amazing. Uh, and it's a delight, huge fan. Honestly, I, I the songs in the musical episode were so good. I went back and listened to them on YouTube like the next day. <laughs> and now I can't go on YouTube because my algorithm is trying to send me after party clips that oh, I haven't gotten no. to yet. <laughs> it was a big mistake. It was a big mistake. But uh, yeah, the after party is a delight. I believe it's eight episodes. Uh, and it's all on Apple TV right now. They are currently casting season two. So it is going to come back uh, for another season, uh, which is going to be an entirely new cast, except I think for Tiffany Haddish and maybe John Early. So you'll see what happens. That's cool. That sounds like a Phil Lord and Chris Miller idea. That sounds very yes. cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a show that you would really enjoy too. If you like Knives Out, uh, The After Party, in very much in the same vein. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, all right. So yeah, that's The After Party. And did you have any t- other TV, Mike, that you wanted to mention real quick? Um, any other TV? Negative. I did not have any more TV. All right, fair enough. Then I'm going to do a movie, and then you can go back to doing some movies. Okay. All right, so uh, one movie that I wanted to talk about, and I think this is a movie that I meant to talk about last time we did the discussions, or maybe I like was going to talk about it and then forgot to watch it and then watched it like a week later, well, whatever it was. Last week, uh, we changed from discussions to Doctor Strange like 12 hours before we recorded. So that, That's true, but I think I meant to talk about this in like the last actual discussions episode oh, of the oh, show. Oh, that long ago, okay. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this is a movie that uh, I had very little actual interest in seeing, but out of some sense of like obligation, I felt like I had to go for some reason. I don't know, but I went to go see the new Fantastic Beasts movie, Mike. You <laughs> um, fucking dummy. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, uh, which is uh, directed by David Yates. And man, I thought the first Fantastic Beasts was like okay enough, I suppose. I remember nothing about it other than Colin Farrell turning into Johnny Depp at the end and being really annoyed. Yes. <laughs> at that turn of events, which we talked about uh, when we reviewed Mordecai on the Goldblum podcast, <laughs> uh, if you'll recall. Yeah. Uh, and then Fantastic Beasts 2 came out and it was terrible. It was worse. Yeah, <laughs> like, somehow. It was really bad. And, uh, you know, this new one was coming out. And really the only thing that it had going for it is that it had gotten rid of Johnny Depp and replaced him with Matt Mickelson. And, you know, even removing Johnny Depp, like the actual stuff surrounding Johnny Depp, uh, which is ongoing right now, obviously, with the uh, trial between him and Amber Heard, uh, which honestly, like, it's I haven't really been like keeping up on it, but it's just in my feed all the time yeah. <laughs> is sort of how it works. It's actually it's, really uncomfortable how much people are like following that and like live streaming it's it. super weird yeah absolutely insane but uh even removing johnny depp from all that i think his performance in those first two movies is really bad like I, I think he's really actively bad in the fantastic piece movies uh and i mean the first one you know he's in it for 30 seconds whatever in the second one he's you know it's the crimes of grindelwald he's like the main character i guess right, right? or one yeah. of the main characters uh and i think he's like really actively bad and distracting this one has mads mickelson who is like better but like, it's given nothing to do. So it's like, <laughs> you know, he, he, it's Mads Mikkelsen. So it's like, oh yeah, he's doing fine. Um, but there's not much going on in his performance. And honestly, nothing happens in this movie. There's just nothing going on. I saw this movie a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened in it. Even, even more so than the second one. Like, I think this might be like marginally better than the second one. But like, I couldn't tell you why. I just feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was just maybe a marginal improvement. That said, uh, Dan Fogler is still great in these movies. Uh, you know, he is the, the unsung hero of the Fantastic Beast franchise, carrying the entire thing on his back. Yes. 
And, uh, you know, whenever he's not on screen, all the other characters should be asking, where is Dan Fogler? <laughs> so, yeah, so this is another Fantastic Beast. Uh, it was pretty terrible. Uh, I hope not to go see another one of these. Um, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there will be another one of these. I feel like this one did pretty poorly at the box office. Like, I feel like enthusiasm for these ones just has continued to wane over the years, partially because of how bad these ones are and also because of all the toxic stuff surrounding J.K. Rowling yes. over the last few years, too. Uh, so just in general, you know, I'm sure if there was like, you know, a big Harry Potter relaunch or something like it was actual Harry Potter stories. People might be into it again. Uh, but Fantastic Beasts, nah, man. It, it's it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. I have no opinion, no thoughts. I, I obviously didn't see it. I uh, don't plan yeah. to. Don't, uh, just whatever. Let this franchise die already. Yeah, I mean, we and we reviewed the first two on this on this podcast back in the day. I think we might have still been film bookcast by the time we did the second one too, uh, back then. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was back when we were like, okay, we got to go see every major blockbuster. And, you know, and now it's just like, I really had to like drag myself out of the house to go see <laughs> Fantastic Beasts 3. <laughs> and the entire time, I was like one of four people in the theater. So I had the entire road to myself. I could like glance at my phone and stuff uh, if I needed to and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I just think, I think of myself like, man, this movie's like over two hours long. I could be watching so many good things right now. <laughs> it's like at least an episode of After Party. I don't know how long exactly. the episode is. Yeah, usually like a ha- 35 minutes or so. Oh, uh, so I, I, yeah, I can, get, I can get through like four episodes of the show. God damn. But yeah, Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore, no good, very bad, don't see it. <laughs> good, 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 I'm glad. Yeah, I checked out, uh, I think maybe in the other direction for me, movies that I uh, really enjoyed watching for this one. Sure. Uh, and that is, I think, 2007's Sunshine? Uh, okay, yeah, the Danny Boyle movie. Yes, uh, directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland, which I don't think I really ever knew that they were like a duo, and they made a bunch of movies together. Like, I think Alex I mean, Garland- They did 28, 28 Days Later in Sunshine, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. At least those two. I don't really know. But yeah. And this movie stars just everybody that's ever been in a movie in the last 15 years, which is crazy. Um, Tillian Murphy, uh, Chris Evans is in it. Man, Rose Byrne. You blanked blanked on everybody who's Everybody's name. I picture everybody's faces, but I blanked on everybody's name. Uh, Rose Byrne. uh, You know, other people. It's wonderful. Um, Michelle Yeoh. There we go. Got it. Oh, yeah. Got it. Mark Strong uh, is like the guy from the original ship. Uh, So, but yeah, the plot of this movie is uh, the sun is dying. Like the reactions on the sun are slowing down. It's the core, but the sun. Remember the core, if you've seen that movie. Um, Right. I actually have not seen the core. I believe it's on a Mike Makes Mike watch I think list it is. somewhere. I think you're right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the sun is slowing down. So Earth has gone into a permanent winter. and They've sent uh, this ship, the Icarus 2, to fly to the sun. Uh, and launch like this crazy neutron bomb or whatever and uh, restart the 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 fusion or fission or whatever it is. I forget which one uh, that happens on the sun. And yeah, it's it starts out as kind of like a, a space survival story type thing. You know, some stuff goes wrong. Things begin to break. Tensions get, get high. Everyone panics, you know, that kind of shit. And then it pivots to a slasher movie, which is crazy. The last like 35 minutes. And that part rocks. But uh, Mark Strong plays the captain of the Icarus one. Uh, so he's you see him like in the video. Like, of course, they find the video diaries and shit from the first right. uh, from the first ship and they intercept the signals and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you've seen space movies, so you get it. Um, yep. But it rocks. I think this movie looks amazing. I think the writing is really good. Uh, you know, that uh, Danny Boyle, Alex Garland, uh, and the performances are great. And yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. I think it's like two hours or so. And it just kind of just kind of rips. It's just a little cool little space space disaster horror thing, you know? Um, and that genre isn't one I watch a lot. But when I do watch it, I'm like, oh, this is the coolest shit of all time. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So I mean, fair enough. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with Sunshine, and I don't think I'd ever heard of this movie. Um, yeah, see, that's wild because I saw you like tweeted something about having never heard of Sunshine before. Yeah, uh, and I was like, wait, ha- what? And I, I thought you were talking about like a different Sunshine or something. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, I mean, this is a I think this is a pretty big movie. I think it bombed at the box office. I don't I don't think it did very well. No. Uh, when it came out, but uh, you know, still a Danny Boyle movie. It's the movie he made right before Slumdog Millionaire, right? Which is kind of crazy, and uh, you know, Alex Garland like did this and then I think he had never let me go like a few years later and then he did Ex Machina and then that became like his thing right uh where he's now directing his own stuff very excited to see men uh later this month by the way that's gonna be uh pretty cool but yeah I saw Sunshine when I was in high school and uh don't remember all that much about it honestly I feel like I liked it but I don't remember like much about it so it's due for a rewatch okay yeah I don't I watched it uh I watched it one day and then a couple days later I watched it with my friends in the discord I always talk about and one of those guys uh is a geologist and is a couple years old, like, you know, he's like 20 years older than Miss, than us. So he always talks about like, oh, him and his friends were in, when they were in grad school and stuff, they would like get together and watch bad science movies, quote unquote. Um, okay. You know, like Day After Tomorrow. It's usually disaster movies and shit like sure, that. Sure, yeah. Uh, and he says, he's like, oh yeah, this was one of the like bad science movies we watched. But it, but it doesn't have that to me, at least when I was watching it, didn't have that yeah. like campiness or goofiness or silliness like a lot of those disaster disaster movies typically do, like Moonfall um, <laughs> or whatever. Not that Moonfall's bad, but you know what I mean. I mean, Moonfall, the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Single-handedly saved cinemas. Um, <laughs> for like two weeks or whatever. But yeah, I, th- I think, you know, go, go in with an open mind and, and have have just like this kind of weird sci-fi kind of otherworldly experience because a lot of it is, you know, s- sort of become worshiping the sun and there's like this observation deck that one of the guys is always like on and he's creeping the filter level lower and lower. So he's getting closer to full brightness of the sun and just he's slowly getting like baked <laughs> throughout the movie. <laughs> Every time you see him, he's a little more sunburned, uh, which right. is like really cool and gross. So yeah, I, I, had a, I had a lot of fun with Sunshine. Nice. That is Sunshine from 2007. What else have you been watching, Mike? Uh, what else have I been watching? Um, most recent thing that I watched, uh, or like in terms of newest movie, uh, is one that just hit uh, Shutter this week, I believe, or last week, um, and that is called The Sadness. Um, now, have you seen them promote this at all, Mike? I have not. So yes, this is a new zombie, quote unquote, movie, because they don't actually die when they, you know, it's kind of one of those technicality things. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a movie, I believe, from Taiwan, and it's about, it's, you know, COVID, clearly, the beginning of the movie, they're talking about the pandemic and the lockdowns, when will it end, and and there's, like, guy on the news, like, a doctor on the news, and the, the newscaster guy is like, why won't the medical community admit that this, they overblew the, overhyped the, yada, yada, yada. Right. Um, and the doctor is talking, you know, it's a, great, a pretty good exposition thing here where he's like, well, the, the thing that scares us is there's these like unused proteins in the bacteria, in the virus that that are similar to rabies. And we don't know what that means. So then, of course, you see where this is going. I do. They activate or whatever. They mutate. And of course, the people that are infected turn into rabid, monstrous, uh, not monstrous, like literally, but like uh, ethically. Uh, it, ma- it basically makes them want to <laughs> hurt people. Uh, is what it comes down to. So it's okay. It's just bands of like sadistic people catching and torturing and killing people. And um, this is probably one of the most grotesque, graphic, disgusting movies I've seen in a long time. Especially like a new movie because of the way that they, you know, like it makes them rabid. So they like want to inflict the most pain they can, and the movie just like is gonna show you <laughs> uh, what right. these people are doing to the people they catch up to. And it's gross, man. It's real, real good gore, gross, solid. Like the first kill you see uh, is the main character guy goes to get like breakfast 
uh, and this old woman walks in, and she's like all covered in blood, and you know is the zombie type thing, and she just reaches over and grabs like the deep fryer and splashes it on the dude behind the counter, <laughs> uh, and then his, he peels his face off. He does the thing that traumatized young Mike Smith. Uh, <laughs> in all poltergeist, those, yes. yeah, poltergeist, uh, uh, raises the lost ark, and he peels his melted face off, and uh, we're just kind of off to the races from there. And it's bleak, it's dark, it ends in a really dark way, uh, and it's kind of about the utility of mankind, if this is what's been in us the whole time type deal. Right. Um, yeah, the, the sadness is real intense, and and it starts, which I've never seen on a Shudder movie before, with a warning for graphic violence. Uh, which, really? Yes, yeah, it comes up with a big thing, like, you know, this feature movie features grotesque and gruesome uh, gore, gore or whatever, I forget what it exactly says, but, um, you know, for a thing, a platform dedicated to horror movies that I've never seen that warning on anything else before (laughs) Um, should maybe say something. Uh, So if you got the stomach for it or you're in the mood for it, um, that's the sadness on Shudder. I mean, it sounds almost as gory as uh, Doctor Strange 2 in the Multiverse (laughs) of Madness. Yes, it's not quite there. Uh, Not quite that gory, but um, that one time with the Kid the Shield in Captain America. Um, um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty intense. Uh, So... Check it out if you're into that, I guess. All right, that's the sadness on Shudder. And uh, I have a few new releases that I wanted to get into as well, one of which is a new horror movie called We're All Going to the World's Fair, which is written and directed by Jane Showbrun and uh, was kind of a big hit at, I believe, the Sundance Film Festival and uh, has been getting a lot of acclaim. So, you know, I I think uh, don't take my word for it necessarily. I found it to be kind of dull. Oh, no. <laughs> Personally, uh, I, I just didn't think it all like came together in a super satisfying way. Um, but it stars Anna Cobb in the lead role, who I think is really terrific in it. Uh, and she's just a teenage girl who uh, is doing the World's Fair Challenge, uh, where it's like this kind of viral thing that's going around online. And she does that, and she starts to notice some psychological and physical changes that take a toll on her. And she starts talking to somebody over the internet about the World's Fair Challenge and uh, starts to develop sort of an online relationship with this person. Uh, And of course, there's some skeeviness uh, inherent in that. And so the movie kind of mines that for uh, kind of creeping intensity. But I just feel like it didn't really like come together in a way that uh, made me be like, oh yeah, this is the movie that I wanted to see and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I was just tired when I saw it. I don't know, but... (laughs) You know, in any case, uh, we're all going to the World's Fair is, I think, at least an interesting movie and not one that I was like a big fan of. But I know a lot of people have been. So I wanted to give it a shout out. Just put it on people's radar. If you want to check it out, we're all going to the World's Fair. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about this with Mike Emmons uh, a few weeks ago. We did. And uh, yeah, I, I wanted to check it out. I do want to check it out at some point, but uh, maybe maybe not as much, but maybe a little bit more, you know. I gotta... You might like it. I mean, you, you may like it, Mike. I don't know. I just I just feel like uh, I saw it with my girlfriend. We were the only two people in the theater. Oh, God. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was, a, it was a quiet day. And uh, yeah, I just felt like, ah, uh, you know, I, we weren't super crazy about it. But a movie that we did really like uh, that we saw a couple days later over at the Roxy Theater, which of course is in a theater near my house in Missoula, Montana, is Petite Maman. Uh, which is the new movie from uh, director Celine Sciamma, uh, who directed Portrait of Lady on Fire, uh, which that movie uh, is one of the best movies of the last few years. That movie's incredible. I bought the Criterion Collection Blu-ray of that shortly after that came out. And so that was the last movie I saw in theaters before everything shut down because of COVID, uh, as I've mentioned on this podcast many times. Petit Maman, a very different movie than Portrait of Lady on Fire. Uh, Portrait of Lady on Fire is a period piece, lesbian romance, uh, takes place, I believe, in the 1800s. And Petit Maman, modern day story, uh, 72 minutes, uh, very short. It's like uh, less than an hour and 15 minutes, which is kind of unheard of in modern movies. Yeah. <laughs> in modern movies that go to theaters, uh, kind of crazy. And it's about uh, this young girl, this eight-year-old girl whose uh, grandmother recently passes away. 
and she and her mom are in her childhood home. And then she ends up reconnecting with her mother, but as like an eight-year-old version of her. And she starts to figure that out. And the other girl starts to figure that out too, that she's her mother and that kind of thing. And it's not really ever made clear how that time travel element works. It doesn't really need to. It just sort of happens, which I kind of like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a very charming coming of age story with uh, this girl kind of getting to know her mother a little better, sort of on a different terms, uh, you know, kind of as a peer rather than as a parent, uh, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, so yeah, definitely uh, worth checking out. It is Petite Maman. I mean, any 72-minute movie is worth watching, you know? <laughs> I mean, there you go. Uh, and I'm sure this this feels like something that will be available on the Criterion channel or something at some point, or mm. like, you know, Criterion might put out a, a Blu-ray of this one as well, who knows? But yeah, it's definitely uh, worth checking out. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I don't like it as much as Portrait of Lady Empire, uh, but I think there's still a very good follow-up uh, to that movie for sure. Uh, and then also wanted to mention a movie that uh, is not a brand new release, but it came out within the last couple of years. This is from 2020. It's a movie that you told me to watch a long time ago, and I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just straight up forgot that you told me to watch it. And then a couple days ago, I was uh, scrolling through, I think, Amazon Prime and I had like a little bit of time to kill while, uh, you know, I, I had like just enough time. My girlfriend like took a nap and I was like, all right, I got like a good 90 minutes here before she's going to wake up again. I can watch a movie. And I selected Black Bear from 2020, directed by Lawrence Michael Levine, starring Aubrey Plaza. And I remembered you telling me about this movie. I did not remember anything about what it was about. Okay. Uh, and that ended up being key to my love of Black Bear because I loved this movie. I was kind of blown away by it, by how it approaches its subject matter. But basically, Aubrey Plaza is a filmmaker, an actress turned filmmaker who goes to this cabin in the middle of the woods to try to get away from it all and try to figure out, you know, what's what's going on in life? You know, how do how do I approach the uh, characters that I'm trying to create in my next movie? Uh, She goes to this cabin that is uh, inhabited by this couple, uh, one of which is uh, Christopher Abbott, uh, who is in Possessor. And uh, the other one is Sarah Gadden, I think, is uh, the girl, uh, the actress uh, who plays the girlfriend. But uh, anyway, it becomes like, you know, the first half of the movie is just the three of them like hanging out at the house and things get like increasingly weird between the three of them. And there's a lot of like unspoken tension between the three of them. And then the halfway point in the movie like completely flips the premise on its head in a way that I'm not going to get into here because it's, you know, I, I really feel like you should go into this movie as fresh as possible. But the entire back half just had me like kind of trying to analyze the entire thing and trying to figure out like what is going on here and like how, how does this all come together and is this even related to the first half of the movie or is this like an entirely separate thing? Uh, and it felt like, uh, I honestly felt like, I mean, and you know, this this may be like too big of a hyperbole of a comparison, but like it felt like the ending of Mulholland Drive uh, in some <laughs> ways. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to say anything more about what that means exactly because even to do that, we're just going to spoilers. I, I feel like I've said too much already. Yeah. Um, but Black Bear is very good. High recommend. Uh, and Aubrey Plaza incredible in it so good oh my god yeah i remember uh it's one of those moments where like when the th- the middle happens where you're just like lean forward and steeple your fingers uh yep, i think i did that exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're like oh interesting um yeah but like in a mind-blowing way uh that that was that's amazing yeah that movie's great yeah and, and it's already like super compelling before that point too i think yeah. you know the the performances feel so lived in and there's so much like tension between the three of them that uh, makes it really engaging. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you watched it. I When I finished it, I was like, Mike will love this. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad you didn't know anything going in, and I'm glad you got to finally check it out. Absolutely. So that is a Black Bear, and it is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Mike, what else have you been watching? 
Well, next up I did uh, yesterday, actually, just before we record this, you know, um, I was like, hey, this shit feels weird in the world. Uh, I'm going to scan through Criterion Channel because sometimes you need one of those kind of movies, you know. Uh, sure. And I came across uh, the Parallax View which I had never seen before. Um, and this is, I forget, I didn't write down any information for these movies, unfortunately, but I think it's like 74 or 75, uh, stars yep. Warren Beatty. And it's this is part of, oh, what's the guy's name? The director. Alan J. Pacula. Yes, he has a uh, paranoia trilogy, apparently, uh, with Clute. Yep, it's, it's, yeah, Clute, this, and all the President's Men. And all the President's Men, yes. I didn't watch all three of those, but I made my own sort of little paranoia trilogy, triple feature thing. Uh, but I started with the parallax view. Uh, and this is about uh, Warren Beatty plays a reporter who in the uh, kind of prologue before the credits and stuff witnesses the assassination of a, a U.S. senator at the Space Needle in Seattle, which is fucking looks amazing. There's like a chase yeah. scene up to the top of the Space Needle and the guy falls off. Ah, it was amazing. And then it's a couple of years later now. And uh, one of the other reporters that was there comes to Warren Beatty and is like, I think we're being hunted. Like, look at this picture. All the other people here have died that were at the assassination and and they're under mysterious circumstances, but not really. Like, it's car accidents and heart attacks and stuff. But even though they're very young, so like he's too young for a heart attack, you know, that kind of thing. And Warren Beatty blows her off. Uh, and then the next scene, she turns up dead and Warren Beatty takes her leads and goes to investigate what is going on behind these uh, mysterious deaths. And maybe he uncovers a paranoid conspiracy because uh, uh-huh. maybe Watergate affected us as a country um, <laughs> kind of thing. And yeah, it's great. It's really good. I think the, the kind of, it's a little... There's one of those, it's one of those weird things about these movies typically, uh, with these like kind of seventies paranoid thriller type stuff is when you're watching them, you're like, holy shit, this is like every moment is so crazy, but really a lot of them are so slow, (laughs) which is fascinating. (laughs) It's crazy the way they're able to do that. And in particular, there's like a big long extended, so you can start the end with a marching band, uh, in this movie. That right. just because it's a marching band, like a rehearsing in this big echoey empty room just feels so fucking weird and wrong. Like that's not how marching band music is supposed to sound. Uh, right. And it's like 20 minutes long <laughs> um, and it's awesome. So it ramps up the tension and all that. And yeah, yeah. Parallax View is very, very good. Uh, I had I had a lot of fun with it and I kind of a couple of my friends joined in and then we were just like, should we watch more of these? And they were like, yeah, sure, I guess. So I'll save some of those. I guess I don't know how many more movies you got because this will be my last three things. If I just oh, is your last three things, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, then yeah, well, I'll, I'll go through like I'll I'll go through three movies and then you can go through your last two okay. and then I'll, and then we'll jump back in for my last couple. Um, but yeah, but I have seen all three of the movies that you're talking about, Mike, and uh, they're all very good. I, I, big fan of all of them. Yeah, yeah, it's very fun. Um, and yeah, I don't know why I never saw Parallax View. I don't know. This is I I remember a lot of people freaking out or being very excited when this got the Criterion uh, yes. edition and stuff. So I don't. I had never heard of it, really. I mean, once Criteria put it out, I heard of it, but uh, I don't know. I guess it's not all the presidents, man. So I just kind of never heard of it. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, it's it's one. It's one that it's a name that got thrown around a lot when Captain America: Winter Soldier was coming out. Okay, actually. fair. Yeah, it was one of those. So a lot of like you know Marvel film nerds know about the Parallax View. Probably haven't watched it, but like know about it enough yeah. where they were like, oh, it's like the Parallax View or Three Days of the Condor, right? It's like right. those movies and uh, yeah, that kind of thing. But yeah, the Parallax View is very good, and uh, I, I actually watched it right before Criterion announced that they were doing their Blu-ray of it, and I was like, ah, I could just wait. <laughs> yeah, son of a bitch. <laughs> yes, but it's very good. I liked it a lot. Uh, anyway, so uh, as you may remember, Mike, uh, a few weeks ago, I bashed in my face pretty good. I do. And I believe I talked about that in the last discussions episode that we did. And I had to take some time to recuperate uh, <laughs> after that, after I uh, fainted on the M trail here in Missoula, smashed my face and uh, had to recover for a few days. So during that time, 
I watched a bunch of movies that I had never watched before because oh, what else am I going to do? And so I decided to watch a couple of uh, things that have been on my list for a while. And one of which is one of like my biggest like list of shame movies that I've had like hanging over me for a very long time. Uh, it is the only it, it was the only Paul Thomas Anderson movie that I had not seen. And that is 1997's Boogie Nights. Wow. Uh, which, yeah, I had never watched Boogie Nights before. I don't know why I hadn't watched Boogie Nights before. I watched Boogie Nights for the first time. It fucking rules. It's incredible. <laughs> you watched uh, the other movie that I can't remember before that uh heart eight heart eight but you hadn't seen boogie nights i had not seen boogie nights wow. yeah which it's very much like it's like watching it i was like how did i never see this because i was i was so into movies like pulp fiction and that kind of thing and this is very much in the vein of pulp fiction like it feels mm. like a successor to it in some ways and you know when i was in high school and stuff i like devoured tarantino stuff i watched some paul thomas anderson stuff and i watched a lot of these like kind of big 90s epics for some reason i never watched boogie nights which is insane but uh boogie nights rules it's incredible. Uh, Mark Wahlberg plays Dirk Diggler, uh, who's just a kid who's like a hanging out at a nightclub. He gets cast into a porn movie by Burt Reynolds because Burt Reynolds notices that Mark Wahlberg has an incredibly huge penis. Uh, <laughs> and, and that is the plot of the movie, essentially. I mean, it, it is really like that is the backdrop of the movie. That is like the driving force behind it. And it's kind of showing you the ins and outs of the porn industry. But it really is a way to depict the late 70s through the early 80s uh, and kind of bring that world alive on film. And I think the way they do that is really fascinating too. just the way the entire first half of the movie is like the seventies leading up to like 1980. And the seventies is all just like rising action. Like it's, you know, rising fame. People are stars and having sex with each other, doing drugs and it's glorious, it's glamorous. And then the eighties comes around and everything just goes to shit like immediately for all the (laughs) for all the characters. And it's a pretty incredible thing to watch. It is often very funny. There are some great performances in here. Like uh, Mark Wahlberg, this is probably the best role he's ever had uh, in any movie, I would I would probably say. You know, John C. Riley is also Mark Wahlberg's buddy in this movie, and he's incredible in it. And Burt Reynolds uh, is like a career resurgence kind of role for him. He's great. Julianne Moore is great. Uh, Heather Graham. Like, just everybody in this movie. So, so good. Uh, so, yeah, I finally watched Boogie Nights. It's great. People should watch it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've seen Boogie Nights before, but not probably since high school when I mostly watched it because lots of naked people. That's fair. You know? So, I definitely got to go back and give it a, give it a like, a true uh, critique, artiste uh, appraisal, you know? Yes. There's a lot more going on on the surface besides naked people, so there's Uh, that too. You know, debatable. No. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Boogie Nights from 97. uh, Finally watched it. It's very good. Also watched for the first time a movie that uh, I actually wanted to go see at the Roxy uh, a few months ago but wasn't able to, and that is Joe versus the Volcano from 1990. You know, I've heard of this movie, but I don't know anything about it. Oh, really? Interesting. So uh, this is a movie directed by John Patrick Shanley, uh, who was the writer of Moonstruck. Okay. Uh, with Nicolas Cage. This movie stars Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Before they were in Sleepless in Seattle, before they were in You've Got Mail, they were in Joe vs. the Volcano together. And Tom Hanks plays this guy who is this hypochondriac, but he's an office worker. He's like drone, like kind of just this office drone, like this terrible like basement office with like, you know, just kind of doing the same thing over and over again every single day, that kind of stuff. Uh, he gets... Uh, news from his doctor that he has six months to live or like a very short amount of time to live and he quits his job he takes the girl out for a date and all that kind of stuff but nobody can like handle the fact that he has six months to live like he has like this new lease on life now he's like very excited about it sort of because he finally like realizes how precious life is Uh, but everybody else is like just kind of bummed out by the fact that he has six months to live Yeah. and then somebody shows up 
with a mysterious offer for Tom Hanks that there's an island out there, like sort of like a in uh, I forget exactly where the city island is, but it's like a Hawaiian esque island that has a volcano on it uh, that the natives sacrifice one person into every 100 years, you know, due to like ancient tradition or whatever, because they believe that will like keep the volcano from erupting. Mm-hmm. And since Tom Hanks is going to die in six months, he recruits Tom Hanks to jump into the volcano. Wow. <laughs> he wants to do this because there's like oil on the island or something that he wants access to. And so he makes a deal with the natives to get them a human sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so on the way, Tom Hanks ends up bonding with his daughter, played by Meg Ryan. The, the billionaire's daughter is played by Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan actually plays three roles in this movie. She's the uh, the girl that he dates in the beginning of the movie uh, who worked at the office. And then he's the two daughters of, or she's the two daughters of the billionaire uh, that is hiring Tom Hanks. Wow. And it is a big romantic comedy, but it's also, you know, isn't life amazing and all that kind of stuff. And it's just a bonkers movie uh, that I really enjoyed. I think the satire at the beginning of showing the drudgery of everyday office life is really great. Uh, I think Tom Hanks is giving a really winning performance in this. Meg Ryan's uh, terrific in this too. And uh, yeah, Joe versus the volcano uh, has some iffy stuff as far as like depicting natives on an island who want to sacrifice people yeah. into a volcano. <laughs> you know, that's that part's like not necessarily great. Um, but I think the uh, the life affirming aspects of Joe versus the volcano uh, I found very engaging and fun. So yeah, Joe versus the volcano, 1990. Uh, it's on HBO Max and uh, worth checking out. Nice, I like it. All right, and so yeah, and I got one more uh, movie right here before we dive into your two, your last two, Mike, and that is uh, the original Paddington from 2017. My God, you finally did it. I'm finally doing it. I mean, I might save Paddington too for when we get Johnny Grant back on the podcast. <laughs> <Reasonable>. <laughs> if he'd be willing, to, if he'd be willing to do it, he's a big shot writer now. He's like signing with agents all over the place, of and course, all that kind of stuff. But uh, the original Paddington. Uh, actually, I think this is 2014, not 2017. I think the sequel was 2017. But uh, yeah, I had never seen either Paddington movie. And I think that my final push came from The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which uses Paddington 2 as a joke in several moments where just everybody who watches it like breaks down crying at how good it is. Uh, and I've not seen Paddington 2 yet. I'm sure it's great. Uh, the first one is very charming. I liked it a lot. I thought it was very fun. Uh, you know, there's uh, some very fun madcap hijinks to be had within the world of Paddington. Uh, Sally Hawkins is the mom in the family, and so she's great. And uh, it's Nicole Kidman who's the villain in Paddington, uh, which I didn't know. <laughs> I knew she was in one of them, but I didn't know which one or what she what, like what her character was. She she is the villain in this movie, uh, which is wild. Uh, That's awesome. So, that she's given a very like fun performance, and uh, yeah, I think uh, Paddington himself is played by Ben Wishaw, who is just very charming, and there's a lot of just very fun little moments and quirks and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a great kids movie and uh, a really entertaining time. So Paddington, director Paul King, just wanted to give it a shout out, and one day we're gonna watch Paddington too at some point. One day, one day we'll do it. Uh, it's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah, I think I think same same for you. The uh, the push from from unbearable weight is like okay, all right. I guess I guess I gotta do it. You know, if Nicolas Cage is saying I gotta watch it, then like fine, I gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the first Paddington is on Netflix right now, by the way. Uh, and actually, Paddington 2 is on HBO Max. I don't know why the two of them are in two different places, but uh, that is where they're at right now. That's that's bizarre. Uh, streaming yeah. rights are weird. <laughs> they are very strange. Uh, all right, Mike, you got two more movies to talk about here? Yes, yeah. So to continue the the paranoia triple that I did, the next one that we watched was Marathon Man uh, from 1976. Nice. And this one I'm looking up was written by uh, William Goldman, which is awesome, uh, and directed by John Schlesinger. Uh, and it stars... Dustin Hoffman, uh, Roy Schneider, and uh, Scheider, Schneider, Schneider. Roy Scheider, Scheider. Roy Scheider. 
Probably. Roy Scheider uh, and Laurence Olivier. And um, yeah, this was one I've seen before. My dad really likes this movie. So like it, this has got big dad movie vibes. Um, sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is a, a about uh, Laurence Olivier plays a uh, like a Nazi doctor or dentist, I guess, that escaped uh, to South America and his diamonds are being uh, the diamonds he accepted payment for, blah, 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 Nazi conspiracy stuff, you know, Nazi gold, Nazi diamonds are kept here in New York uh, by his brother who dies uh, in a amazing car chase scene uh, where his car is broken down and this like you know old Jewish guy pulls up behind him uh, in Manhattan and starts yelling at him in Yiddish and then he yells at him in German and he they realize that he's a Nazi kind of thing or calls him right. a Nazi and they have this like big car chase like battle uh, which is very funny unfortunately they crash into a big oil truck and everything explodes and they all die <laughs> but uh, yeah d- that's and that's kind of how the the the, the domino that starts the 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 great the great conspiracy that uh, Dustin Hoffman gets wrapped up in because his brother works for this organization that is uh, using the diamonds or is after Lawrence Olivier's character and all this, you know, twisty turny stuff. And uh, somehow Dustin Hoffman gets roped into all of it. And it's the classic, you know, that that era, this this paranoia thriller where there's this, you know, kind of shadowy organization and this is every man stumbles into it by accident and he doesn't know what's going on, but everyone thinks he's involved and right. all the double crosses and triple crosses and the fake safe houses and all this stuff, uh, which I guess they just stole for Mission Impossible Fallout uh, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. And yeah, this movie's a lot of fun. So yeah, that's 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 Marathon Man. Nice. This is also a movie I'm pretty sure my dad showed me at some point. Yeah. Uh, like you said, big dad movie vibes. Uh, and it's, I believe I was in high school when I watched it. And I think the reason we watched it is because uh, it was a movie that, aired as part of like the AFI's 100 movie quotes list that oh, they showed. Yes. And is it safe was like one of the quotes of uh, that made the list. And so I saw those clips and it looked pretty cool. And my dad's favorite actor was Dustin Hoffman. And so we, we watched a bunch of his movies when I was growing up. So Marathon Man just kind of made its way into the rotation. But I remember watching it and being really into it. And I remember when Roy Scheider showed up, the only other thing I'd ever seen him in was Jaws. So yes. I like freaked out. I was like, what? <laughs> Chief <laughs> Brody is here? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but yeah, very good movie. High recommend. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, maybe it doesn't quite fit the full like government conspiracy thing, um, you know, like like uh, Parallax sure. here. Uh, but definitely a shadowy organization with ulterior motives ch- hunting down the, the everyman. Uh, yep. And I kind of love the fact that like because he's a, like, I mean, it's the title Marathon Man, but like the fact that he can long distance run like saves his life because he just yeah. literally outruns the henchmen uh, like a bunch <laughs> of times. And there's the funny, I don't know if it's like apocryphal or not, but the like funny absolute slam dunk uh, Laurence Olivier has on Dustin Hoffman from the behind the scenes stuff for this movie. Yes. His character is being tortured. Dustin Hoffman's character is like being tortured and kept awake and all this stuff. And, and Dustin Hoffman apparently like actually stayed up for a day or two or whatever um, to like be in that headspace. Yeah, it was method acting. Yes, doing the method. Uh, and Laurence Olivier was just like, have you considered acting instead? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking roasted. Uh, Nailed him. Yeah. Uh, which, which is pretty great. Although at least Dustin Hoffman's version of method acting wasn't like actively hurting other people on set like some right. modern method actors do. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, but yeah, still very funny. And uh, I like this movie a lot. So Marathon Man. Yeah, fair enough. Marathon Man. You got one more in there, right, Mike? Yes, yes, I do. Um, so after that, I was uh, like, okay, we got to do, I guess, potentially the the granddaddy of them all. I don't really know of the the paranoia thrillers from the 70s. And this was one on my, my uh, shame list or whatever you said uh, before. <laughs> and that is Three Days of the Condor. Um, okay, yes. Yes, I had never seen this before obviously i knew all the iconography and all the stuff and my uh, my dad also <laughs> loves this movie in particular
earlier because there's one scene with a mailman where Robert Redford uh, like recognizes he's not a mailman because he's not wearing the right shoes. And my dad was always, my dad is a mailman <laughs> or was a mailman. Ah, yes. And he was like, oh, it's a fun little detail. Uh, he doesn't have black shoes on. Um, but yeah, this <laughs> is uh, uh, about Robert Redford works uh, in this kind of like co- code breaker CIA safe house thing. Uh, and one day he goes out to get lunch through the back door. Uh, when he comes back in, everybody's been killed in the office and the CIA sets thinks he did it uh, or might have done it. And it's this kind of, you know, he's not a field agent. He's not a spy. He's just like this kind of nerd book, you know, bookworm guy and why he's in over his head. Now the whole company's come after him kind of thing. Right. Um, and also at the same time, there's an assassin that's played by the guy from The Exorcist. Why can't I remember a single person's name? Is it Max von Sydow? Max, Max von Sydow's Sydow. in this, right? Yes. The whole time. Our brains, our brains are still mush from, uh, <laughs> from last, <laughs> last week, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the whole time, Max von Sydow is tracking him down. You know, he's this kind of a, a hired European assassin guy. And we don't know what his connection is to all of this. Uh, and it's real good, man. Real twisty turny. And and I uh, didn't know that I needed, like, sexy book nerd in an overcoat. Robert Redford looks, but like I guess I did because he it's amazing in this movie and uh, Faye Dunaway is in it also. So yeah, this movie movie is real cool. That's three yeah, days and, of and uh, Cliff Robertson who was uh, Uncle Ben in the Spider Man movies. Yes, yes, and and the guy that plays Feeny. Oh no, that was Parallax View. Damn, the guy that he the guy that plays Feeny is in uh, from Boy Meets World is in Parallax View for ten minutes. He's one, I think you mean from Rehearsal for Murder, Mike? Who are you talking about? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Yes. This movie, yeah. Three Days of Condor, Marathon Man, Parallax View. Great, great little paranoia triple I did yesterday afternoon. Nice. I mean, that sounds like a great time. Yeah, uh, all right. So are, where are all those movies available, Mike? Are they on Criterion Channel or uh, any other uh, places? Uh, um, no. Right, um, <laughs> Parallax View is on uh, Criterion Channel. Uh, Marathon Man, I believe, is on uh, HBO Max. And um, Three Days of the Condor, I think, was the one that I found places. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> of course. All right. And then I have a few more things to uh, throw out there before we start wrapping this episode up. First of which is uh, Friday the 13th, part two. Like I mentioned before, at the top of this episode, uh, the Roxy Theater here in Missoula, the Inner Theater near my house, Missoula, Montana, uh, was showing Friday the 13th, part two on Friday the 13th, uh, which they did the last, they did the same thing last Friday the 13th where they showed the original. And uh, their plan is to just keep doing it every time there's a new Friday the 13th that comes around in the calendar, uh, which uh, they mentioned next one will be in January. Uh, they're going to be playing Friday the 13th part three, supposedly in 3D. Whoa. Which is very exciting. That's cool. <laughs> very excited about that. And yeah, the thing is, I mean, I had seen the original Friday the 13th and I had seen the remake from 2009. I have never seen any of the sequels in the entire series. And there are a lot of them. Yes, there are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of Friday the 13th movies. And so uh, I figured this might be the best ma- way for me to watch them is just to uh, catch them as they show up at the Roxy uh, for the next six or seven years or however, <laughs> however long it's going to be. But this past weekend was Friday the 13th part two, uh, which they did as part of Camp Horror Presents. And um, we talked about this uh, kind of leading up to it with uh, Mike Evans for our Roxy episode a couple weeks ago. But uh, yeah, this was a ton of fun. Sold out theater. People were going nuts for this movie. Uh, it was really great, uh, and it was cool to uh, kind of see the hype starting to build for the Camp Horror Film Festival. They debuted the trailer for it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they did some raffles ahead of time. Somebody won a machete, uh, which is pretty wild. <laughs> like a real machete? <laughs> like an actual machete that they uh, raffled <laughs> off. Incredible. Uh, 
you know, in, in theme, in the theme with the Friday the 13th. Although Jason does not use a machete in this movie. Uh, this is a, uh, this is Jason with a pitchfork for the most part, actually is his weapon of choice. Yeah. And the bag, uh, and, right? Yeah. He's got the bag over his head, uh, with like the one eye hole kind of, uh, poked out there. Uh, cause that's the weird thing about the Friday the 13th movies that, you know, Jason Voorhees is the iconic villain behind the entire franchise, but he's not the villain in the first movie. And in the second movie, he looks different than he does in the other movies. Yeah. <laughs> like he gets the hockey mask and the machete in the third movie, I think. Uh, and then from there, it becomes the iconic image of Jason Voorhees. But uh, those first two movies, just like it's weird that like he's not that he's not there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's the, um, the thing that I always think about that you've said, I don't know where have you heard it from somewhere, but like movies and, and stuff doesn't have to be like the Wikipedia page for it. Like all things media now is so concerned about like universe and, and continuity and connections. Right. Uh, but like, yeah, Jason doesn't become Jason until the third movie <laughs> in this franchise. Right. Like our, our popular conception of what Jason is doesn't happen until three movies in, which is, so weird and so against the grain from like every other major slasher franchise uh, of this era too. You know, Freddy Krueger is Freddy Krueger from moment one. Right. You know, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Michael Myers is Michael Myers in that first movie. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's weird. But yeah, Friday the 13th part two, very entertaining. I, th- I think probably actually better than the first movie, um, which is a movie that I thought was fine. And this one I thought was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Maybe it was the theater experience, you know, right. who knows. But uh, it actually does like build off of the first one. Like the movie opens with the final girl from the first movie. Um, oh. And it has like an extended sequence involving her uh which is really cool and then it has a new cast of characters because you can guess what happens to the final girl in the first few minutes of the movie um where, where did scream get the idea yeah, yeah exactly actually there, there is one moment in this movie where some character just says the words i'll be right back and uh <laughs> and my girlfriend and i like turn to each other and like i'll be right back like, <laughs> which was pretty funny um but uh yeah great cast of characters in this and uh you know it's, it takes place like five years after the events of the first movie like after the uh, the prologue happens. And so now Jason Voorhees is out there and he is terrorizing a new group of campers uh, and it's a lot of fun. Good stuff, good kills. Uh, Crazy Ralph is in it again. You know, who, who doesn't love Crazy Ralph? <laughs> Apparently the character I'm based on. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's very exciting. Yeah, well, who wouldn't want to be Crazy Ralph? You know, he's, he's, he's the character we all aspire to be in the Friday the 13th movies, uh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, Friday the 13th Part 2, really enjoyed it. Have you seen any of the sequels, Mike, for Friday the 13th? Um, you know, I don't think so. The Halloween franchise was always the one that, like, in the 30 days of Halloween, you know, thing on AMC and all that stuff, like, those would be the movies I would, like, try to catch the most in the, those yeah. days in, uh, in high school and stuff. Uh, I've never really seen many of the... Uh, fr- Friday the 13th movies. I've seen the first one for sure. Uh, and I think that may be it also. So maybe maybe we're due for some some Friday the 13th love here on the pod. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I saw the remake when it was in theaters and really liked it. Like I, But I, I was like 16 and it was like a thing where like, I couldn't get into R-rated movies by myself yet, so yeah. like my dad, t- my dad took me and my friends, and it felt like oh, like we're getting away with something by seeing the new Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, which that and that movie like really delivers and like everything a sixteen-year-old could want in a Friday the Thirteenth movie. It's just straight up first five minutes, it's all boobs and blood, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then from there, it's like more of a normal movie, but like there's still a lot of it throughout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout. But yeah, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two really enjoyed it. Uh, and then a few other quick shout-outs I want to throw out here. I believe I mentioned this last week when we talked about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but because of that movie, I was inspired. To to rewatch uh, Drag Me to Hell, the uh, Sam Raimi movie from 2009, which I believe you also rewatched before you saw Doctor Strange. Yes, yeah, it was kind of the inverse where I was like, I'll watch, I'll watch some Sam Raimi stuff and that inspired me to go see Doctor Strange. Right. And I was like, I saw Doctor Strange and I was like, oh, I gotta watch some more Sam Raimi stuff. I, I need my fix. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Drag Me to Hell rules. It, it, it had been at least since high school since I had watched Drag Me to Hell uh, and I had the Screen Factory Blu-ray that had been sitting on my shelf for a while so finally got to uh, dig into that. Um, but yeah, Terrific. So good. It's, I mean, and 
also a PG-13 movie that like kind of tests the limits of what like a PG-13 horror movie can do, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of interesting compared to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and the conversation that's been happening around that movie. Yeah, yeah. I definitely did not know that that was PG-13, unless maybe I watched an unrated version. Unless there's an unrated version I watched. Um, My, mine comes with both theatrical and unrated. So oh, I think I, wa- I, I watched the theatrical, but the unrated is there. Uh, that might have been what I watched then. Not that there's anything particularly like graphic, but there's a big nosebleed scene. Of- well, that's in the theatrical. That's in the oh, theatrical. interesting. Okay. Yeah, which is hilarious. There might be more blood in the unrated version. Maybe, I don't yeah. know. Uh, but the theatrical, that that whole sequence where she like almost like sneezes blood and just like covers the guy with the nosebleed is... Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like it's like the scene in uh, Evil Dead 2 where the blood fountain comes out of the wall onto yep. Ash. Does that happen in the theatrical? That's what happens in the version I watched. Uh, I mean, I kind of remember that. I mean, I'll, I'll have to go back and watch it again. Interesting. Uh, that, I'll that, go back and watch Drag Me to Hell again. Basically. <laughs> Twist my arm, why don't you? Yeah, because that was like the one scene because it's a lot of blood. And I was like, this must be rated R. But it's not like a violent thing that happens to her. It's a nosebleed, right? Uh, it, yeah, and it's just a lot of blood. It's just a lot of blood. Um, but yeah, that movie rocks. We talked about it last time. Very good. Yes, we did. Yeah, Drag Me to Hell. And then also uh, I went to the Roxy uh, two weeks ago because... They were showing Con Air on 35 millimeter, and that is something that I could not miss. <laughs> <laughs> You're, I think, legally obligated to go to that. I think, I think, if I wasn't at the Con Air screening at the Roxy, like the authorities would have been called to my house. <laughs> yes, yes. Somebody would have been deeply concerned. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I went to go see Con Air, the Roxy, which I hadn't watched since we did it for this podcast, um, you know, or for the Nicolas Cage podcast, which was, I guess, like six years ago at this point, maybe that uh, we reviewed it, maybe five or six years ago, something wow. like that. But yeah, that was, of course, part of the, uh, the We Made It My Trilogy, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. And yeah, Con Air rules. Uh, it's it's a really fun time, a really fun theatrical experience, too. Mm. Um, and that movie just entirely consists of insane one-liners and character actors doing their best to be as menacing and terrible as they could possibly be. And it is just absolute lunacy. There is some stuff that is tasteless in this movie, for sure. Stuff that like should, doesn't hold up and shouldn't. Uh, and stuff that, like, yeah, maybe they shouldn't have done that in the movie. But, like, it all kind of adds to that, like, dirty, grimy charm of Con Air. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like, they're supposed to be the worst of the worst, and they are the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Cyrus the Virus, man. Cyrus the Virus. Like, Danny Trejo's character is, like, you know, it's just he's, like, the rapist character. Oh, who, uh, God, that's like right. Johnny 23, and he, he's, he's called that because he's raped 23 women. Yeah. Uh, and he's, like, trying to uh, rape the guard that is held hostage on the ship too. But like John Malkovich always shuts him down because he hates rapists. And that's yeah. like his whole thing. And it's like, Oh, it's the movie like takes this weird stance where it's like, Oh, it has this character played by Danny Trejo who, and they're going to depict that on screen, but also they're going to condemn it at the same time with John Malkovich's character. Who's also like one of the biggest pieces of shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's ever walked the earth. And uh, it's a, it's a really like weird dichotomy that the movie kind of builds up for itself. And uh, I think only has like, it has no like larger purpose behind it other than to be like as crazy and gross as possible, uh, which it succeeds in doing, I guess. So there's that. Yeah. I mean the, like the, the sheer like tension and menace of the like tea party scene with, uh, right. Steve Buscemi and that little kid, little girl at like in the backyard or whatever is just fucking like horrific. It's like kind of wild. Yeah. And yeah, Steve Buscemi, he got like wild applause in my theater when he showed up. Um, nice. cause he's just so good and not even doing much. He like shows up and is silent for a lot of the movie. <laughs> yeah. In like the straight jacket or whatever. Yep, um, he's in the straight jacket. They let him out. He sings, uh, got the whole world in my hands. Uh, right. And then like the the 
end bit at the end of the movie is that Steve Buscemi gets away and is like winning like craps in Las Vegas or something. Yeah. He's like set up as like, you know, one of the worst serial killers in the world. And the movie like lets him go free. (laughs) (laughs) Good good for him, you know, I guess. Yes, absolutely. But uh, yeah, just an insane cast of characters. Nicolas Cage, man. I mean, he's Cameron Poe. This movie was referenced a lot in Unbearable Weight of Master Talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is like one of the definitive Nicolas Cage movies. Like it is peak 90s excess. And yeah, Nick, Nick Cage, so good in this. Yeah, I mean, that one shot that's the gif that everyone uses of him with the hair, wind blowing his hair back and stuff when he gets yep. off the plane. Mwah, chef's kiss, you know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and every line every line he has, just unbelievable. Put the bunny back in the box. Hooray for the sounds of fucking silence. Uh, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to go save the fucking day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just one after another, like just perfect, perfect action movie dialogue. I love it. But yeah, so Con Air, got to see it in 35 and that was a lot of fun. And then also this past weekend at the Roxy Theater, I believe in our last discussions episode, I mentioned that uh, I went to go see Twilight at the Roxy. Yes. While high out of my mind in a sold out crowd and uh, ended up being a lot of fun. Uh, so I had to go again with my girlfriend uh, to go see Twilight New Moon at the Roxy, which they showed they showed again. I mean, they're basically it seems like they're committed to playing the entire series at this point, like one per month. Nice. Uh, and so we had to go to New Moon. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have now seen all these movies because my girlfriend made me watch them a while back. Mm-hmm. And other before that, I, I had like actively no interest in the Twilight franchise. And now I feel like I know way too much about it while simultaneously not ever understanding what's happening in any movie. <laughs> I don't know why characters do what they do in the movies, but I've now seen them all and uh, a couple of them I've seen twice now. And so I feel like I, I know more about this franchise than I ever thought I ever would. But yeah, watching New Moon, it was it was still a lot of fun in the crowd. You know, I, I was a, little, a bit less high this time just to like uh, ease, ease up a little bit. It was yeah, like yeah, way, yeah. Too, way too much that first time. But uh, yeah, watching it like a, with a nice buzz going, it was a, it was a good time. That's good. I'm glad you want you really wanted to make sure you absorb some of it this time. So exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I still I don't think I succeeded in that uh, in that regard. But there are there are just so many. And this is like, I think, probably the worst of the movies honestly too yeah <laughs> which is weird like it's i think it's actually filmed a lot better than the first movie but there, it just loses like some of the charm of the first one in some weird way too like the, this one just feels more just like okay and now i think a lot a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, the cullens are not in this one as much like robert pattinson's bar- like barely in new moon right um because they, the character leaves because he wants to protect bella yeah they break uh, up but, in this one yes and uh jacob is like the main romance in this one so that, that's the one that like, really brings in taylor lautner into the fold because he's barely in the first one right um and so and you know in between movies he gets like super buff and all that kind of stuff and you discover he's a werewolf and all that kind of stuff and it's just the underworld movies uh for teenagers, I guess, uh, which I guess Underworld is all Underworld is for teenage boys and Twilight is for teenage girls. I feel like it's basically the demographic between the two of them, at least. Yeah. As as they were originally uh, presented, although the Underworlds were rated R, but they were mostly for teenage boys, I think. I think so. Yeah. But I think now, I mean, years later, Twilight has kind of been reclaimed by the, just like anybody who wants to enjoy it. And like I, there is like a weird nostalgic power to watching these movies on the big screen, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing to watch. Um, like there are people like. There's a genuine love for these movies that is like present in the theater, while at the same time, everyone is laughing at so much of the stuff that's happening <laughs> in these movies. There's a lot of laughter going on there, but there's also a lot of like cheering and hooting and hollering when Edward Cullen first shows up. Uh, it's a perfect like, uh, you know, I forget what song is playing, but it's like a hard rock song with Edward walking slow-mo from his car towards Bella. Yeah. And the entire theater went nuts. That's <laughs> just, awesome. Just like went cheering and hooting and stuff. And then Jacob shows up like a few minutes later and got like less applause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but still got some, you know, still got some. But uh, yeah, Twilight New Moon, 
I think probably the worst of these movies. So at least when I go for Eclipse, I, actually, I think Eclipse is probably the best of five if I had to wow. like, really, really do a ranking. Eclipse at least has like werewolves fighting vampires. You right. know? Yeah, Something yeah, yeah. happens in that movie. <laughs> I remember really liking the Eclipse book and hating New Moon. Really? Okay, because, yeah. yeah, you read the books. I did, yeah. Uh, and I've seen the movies, I think. I've definitely seen the first one. I remember that played on campus uh, back in college one time for, like, $5. dollars we were okay. like, that's be fun. Let's go see that. But, yes, yeah, I remember New Moon. Bella spends, like, the first 200 pages, like, crying on the couch because Edward's gone. And you're like, <laughs> I get it. Fucking, please pick a new thing. Uh, yeah, at least the movie has the advantage of like turning that into like a montage that right. lasts for like two minutes. Yeah, exactly. Which is actually a fairly artfully composed montage of just Bella staring out the window and you said kind of the seasons change around her kind oh, of thing. Oh, interesting. You know, like I said, the filmmaking in this, in this one is a huge step up from the first movie. It's just the story of this is way worse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can't believe we're talking about New Moon this long in the year yeah. 2022. <laughs> so weird. Also, there's one moment in the movie where the, the reason the Cullens leave is because, you know, Edward's scared that, you know, because they're all vampires, they're going to attack Bella at some point, right? Like, uh, they're not going to be able to control it or whatever. Uh, and the reason he thinks that is because they're at a party where they're all, like, voting on whether to make Bella a vampire or not. And then she, like, gets a paper cut or something and, like, a, a small, like, yes. dash of blood drops down and one of the other Cullens, like, you know, freaks out, goes into a rage and tries to attack her. And then when he does that, it like knocks her back. And then like her entire arm starts bleeding and all of them just goes, oh my God. Like, are about to attack her. Uh, and it really reminded me of the scene in Finding Nemo where the sharks smell blood for the first yeah. time. <laughs> oh my God. It is essentially the exact same scene. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, she's like his heroine, so you get it, Mike. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Twilight New Moon. I mean, it is what it is. I, I, I have never been the target audience for these books or these movies, but I feel like I've come around and like gained a new respect for them as far as like the people who enjoy them seem to enjoy them on their own re for their own reasons. And also it does make for a very entertaining crowd experience. Uh, so yeah. there's that. That sounds like it would be a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. So next month, uh, Twilight Eclipse. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, that is that is at least the one that I liked the most watching him for the first time when my girlfriend made me watch him. So there's that. Nice. Hopefully whenever I get out there, it'll be Breaking Dawn 6 or Breaking Dawn 2, I mean. <laughs> I, I think if, if you are actually coming out in August... I think Breaking Dawn Part 2 would be at, would be happening that month, so maybe it would overlap. I think it could happen, which Breaking Dawn Part 2 is a truly insane movie. Um, <laughs> I've, I've never seen it, but I've heard. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fucking wild. Uh, <laughs> and, and I genuinely, like, if, if we're able to make it to all of these, I, I really hope we're able to make it to that one specifically just to see how the theater reacts to some of the stuff that happens in that movie because it's bananas. <laughs> Amazing. But all right, also a movie where nothing happens. Really, I think if you look to, like, all five Twilight movies, Eclipse might be the only one where stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> in, in in either one of them for like for the, the entire like duration of the movie maybe stuff will happen at the end of one movie or something where like Bella turns into a vampire or something but for the most part nothing's happening in these <laughs> my friend just totally unrelated since we're talking about Twilight stuff uh, there's some band I don't remember who it is or what it was but their music video was them recreating the uh, the baseball game thunderstorm scene you know uh, oh, yeah, yeah. During their song from the first movie and um, all of a sudden what's his name that plays the like Papa Cullen, something Falco, I think is his last name. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, he just shows up like, like very obviously poorly green screened into the scene, like as like, as, like a, like a cameo in this music video. Oh, wow. And, uh, they like pretend to pass a softball to each other. And he's like, I'm very glad we're, we're here in the same space. And they pass the softball to each other. And that's it. That's the whole, his whole cameo. And then he like very poorly walks out of screen. Um, nice. Yeah. Anyway, that just popped into my head right now. Cause Twilight. Um, yeah. So there you go. There you go. The new down, new, new moon, I guess is what we're saying. Yeah. Twilight new moon. What a picture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that is going to be the end of this week's episode, I think, Mike. Yes, we're all we've discussed everything that's ever happened in movies. Yes, yeah, at least for the last couple of weeks. Uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be it for this week, Mike. Where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you could do that at our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com/slash Mike and Mike Pods, plural, because we have two podcasts. And you can find me online at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to Mike and Mike. Go to the movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DeCrecio. Don't forget to rate and interview the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press, alongside many other podcasts about all kinds of comic books, movie news, and all that good stuff. Next week, at the suggestion of frequent listener Jake, uh, we'll be discussing the Schumacher Batman movies. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Jake, who has been uh, generously donating to the podcast every once in a while, been uh, really appreciating that. A few months back when he made his donation, uh, we reached our goal uh, that we had said on the podcast, which I don't think we ever like formally put that out there on the Internet or anything. Um, but we had said on the podcast that like when we hit a certain amount of money, we're going to make Mike buy the Snyder Cut 4K or something. <laughs> yeah, it was like the full Snyderverse collection Blu-ray pack or whatever. Yes, like buy the whole Blu-ray pack and do like a big episode where we talk about the entire universe or something. And uh, Jake, being the good guy that he is, <laughs> said, please don't do that. Uh, and instead suggested we do something fun like uh, the Schumacher Batman movies. And so we decided to uh, take that to heart. So next week, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin is going to be what we're doing. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited. I don't think I've seen those in a like long time. Yeah, I mean, Batman and Robin was a frequent movie that I watched in high school and college. Like, me and my roommates uh, would watch it in college a lot because it was just like a very fun, campy, like, you know, we used to make fun of it. Now I kind of look back on it and be like, oh, I mean, I don't think it's good, but there's a lot of like stuff to like about it, sort of, <laughs> you know? I think because we've had so many grim, dark versions of Batman uh, over yeah. the last like 20 years, it's, it's like, nice to have that George Clooney back credit card uh, Batman going on. <laughs> Batman Forever, though, I have not seen in full probably since, like, middle school. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't really remember the last time I've, like, gone out of my way to watch those movies. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be interesting to uh, watch those for sure. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are coming up next week. In the meantime, the complete works is just trying to figure out who the next season of the show is going to be about. Yeah, it's it's a tumultuous time on that podcast for us, even though yes, it's, it's the same as this podcast. <laughs> it is a sea of unknowns uh, going on right there as we kind of figure out who season three will be. Uh, so this week on the show, we are going to be kind of whittling down a group of finalists that we will be putting out there on the internet so you can vote on who will be uh, the Complete Works third season subject. Yes, I'm excited to to have that long discussion. Absolutely. All right, so there we go. And that is the end of this episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. Yeah.